because it is a full-time job and it, it can and should take full-time focus. But five years from now, maybe it's just going to be a part of what we do, right? Just like digital marketing is today. Hey, fellow marketers, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by the marketinghelp.co. All right, here we go. We are kicking off our season focused on helping you, marketers and marketing leaders, navigate this disruption of generative AI. Now, some of you may be on, on top of it. Some of you just starting out your exploration. Others may be somewhere in the middle. But regardless of what your situation is, we trust that this season will provide you with some valuable tips and tools and insights. Um, and you can expect a new episode of this season to be released every week uh, that will include a conversation with a leader in the marketing AI space. Now, that statement you heard at the open, letting you know that Gen AI is already in the process of becoming a common thing in the day-to-day -day of marketers, that is from our guest, Jessica Ria. Now, Jessica is the newly minted head of marketing AI strategy and transformation at Jasper. Uh, you can find that at jasper.ai. And she joins Jasper on the heels of her impactful tenure at VMware, where she founded their marketing AI council, a cross-functional team that charted the path to Gen AI governance, education, and responsible adoption across global marketing. Now, this may be something that your company is thinking about doing or is in the process of navigating, but either way, we're here to help. So she's going to provide a ton of great tips and advice in this episode, and make sure you check out all the links in the show notes for some of her favorite Gen AI resources and ways to get in touch with her if you'd like to talk more about generative AI. So all right, here's the episode. Enjoy it. It's my conversation with Jessica Ria from Jasper. Have another great episode today um, where we're going to uncover and, and continue talking about this disruption of generative AI. And happy to be joined today by Jessica Ria, who is the head of AI strategy and transformation at Jasper. Jessica, welcome to the episode. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yes. So let's just jump right into because I know your background, a lot of great experiences um, in terms of. Uh, industries that you've worked in that, that may have led you this path into where you are today. So maybe take a couple of minutes, walk through your background and what kinds of roles did you get started in and, and, and what was that path that led you to Jasper? Sure. So to not take up all the time, we'll try to shorten <laughs> this story, right? But I kind of fell into marketing, actually. Um, I was a PR poli-sci major and my kind of dream, if you will, was to... <laughs> It's not very lofty, but um, to work in public affairs for a government agency. Um, and I did sort of government type internships in college. And I interned post-grad in the public affairs office at Time Warner Cable. And that really catapulted my entire career in telecom, which this is the majority of my career, um, because I got a full-time role after that in the marketing department. So um, it's it's so interesting because I didn't go to school for marketing. And this is like the age-old story, right? And then your entire career is in marketing. But of course, PR and comms being super adjacent to that. Um, so spent a lot of time in uh, B2C and B2B telecom, did a couple of years stint in healthcare, in corporate healthcare, where it's run like an agency. Um, and then, you know, furthering that telecom career, did a little bit in sales. I like to say I grew up in field marketing, but I've done product marketing, vertical marketing, content marketing, you know, content and comms, integrated marketing, um, and then a short stint in wholesale sales. Uh, so I always like to say or be able to tell salespeople, I too have carried a bag. Um, all of that led to 
VMware, uh, where I spent the past three years. So really going up the stack um, from a software and cloud perspective, again, focused on content strategy and demand gen. Um, and then this past year, just with the advent of generative AI, you know, started uh, focusing on AI as sort of a part-time job. And, and we'll get into this, but with the founding of VMware's Marketing AI Council, and all of that led me to this spot at Jasper where I'm in today, where I'm, I'm in a role to help other enterprises be able to uh, introduce and scale generative AI across their marketing teams. Nice, nice. And yes, we'll, we'll unpack a little bit more of that of that transition where you were, you know, initiating sort of that task force, if you will, to, to help others understand the importance of generative AI. So, you know, this episode, this series is all about the disruption specific to generative AI, specific to marketing teams. Uh, so, you know, definitely excited to dig in more here to, to, to hear uh, your insights and tips so our audience can better prepare for their disruption. Because, you know, as much as we like to say that, um, and we've had this in earlier conversations, you know, uh, marketing teams feel like they've gone through it. I think we're just starting. So there's a, I think there's a lot of insights uh, you can provide that's going to help our, our, our marketers really prepare for this. So you know, in setting some context here, just from your perspective, because of your unique background, um, how do you describe in your own words or when describing to somebody who may not be part of the industry, how do you describe generative AI? Ah, good question. So um, for someone who's never heard of generative AI, I like to describe it as um, a computer system or tool that offers you unique context or, you know, the predictive text. So what I describe to people is it's not just regurgitating information word for word, but it's actually predicting the next word out of, you know, statistics. And so you're able to get uniquely new or newly put together information because it was trained on the corpus of the internet. It is in essence, an expert in a lot of things. And so it has a lot of capabilities to allow you to get to the information you're seeking faster and customize that for what you're doing. And then, you know, you can go into examples from a personal perspective or a work perspective based on who you're talking to. Nice. Nice. I'm sure that that definition or that uh, description you just provided is that something that you you found yourself doing a lot when you know set, setting up your your committee at VMware? So, you know, at VMware, it was really the people who were started out on a marketing AI council were already jumping into the information about generative AI, and um, so the the swirl, as I like to call it, was already happening in some pockets. And then it was an opportunity to put it together. Where I think the definition really comes into play is differentiating from traditional AI and ML and generative. Because your marketing ops teams have been using AI ML for years. Your product you know, has had AI and ML for years. What makes generative different? And that's the net new um, from a writing perspective, from an insights perspective, than just um, you know, predictions of data. Nice. Yeah. And that, I think that's a helpful uh, delineation because I, I've had conversations with with, with uh, some marketers that thought that ML was what we're talking about when it comes mm -hmm. to generative AI, just because, oh, AI is in it. It's just, it's probably the same thing. And, and oh boy, it is not. Yeah. Uh, and at one point our CMO asked for, you know, a state of AI report, you know, in our marketing team. and when we put it all together, the majority of them from our marketing ops were all traditional AI ML. So I had to add another column to say, okay, 
who's doing what with generative AI and who's right. doing what AI, because really our focus was on gen AI and really from a guidelines, responsibilities, ethics perspective, that's really the one that matters in those conversations in a lot of ways. Not that the other one doesn't, but it's different. Absolutely. Um, so this question is, is probably very relevant to what you had gone through in setting up that committee. And I guess, you know, for our audience to hear maybe more examples that you may have seen, not just internally with your own marketing team or, or marketing organization, but what you may see with other clients that you may be working with currently. But looking forward, like what was that catalyst moment that you've seen that that caused your team or or, or teams that you see realize that the generative AI was something that needed a state of the state report? Um, you know, do you, do you recall that that disruptive moment that you know that that caused those leaders to say, "Hey, wait a minute, we need to." organize a team around this? <laughs> That's easy. For me, the disruption uh, was ChatGPT, right? So that was just sort of the big, you know, explosion that happened where people suddenly paid attention and it really democratized generative AI. Now people understood it because now they can go and touch and feel it themselves. And that experience is what creates understanding. So we had been trialing uh, Jasper starting in September, probably even earlier, because it kind of came onto my team. And in fact, I took a class from Northwestern's Kellogg uh, School of Management earlier that summer on data, data, AI, and analytics. And Jasper was a use case, you know, uh, scenario to watch and then write about how you might use it. So it came onto our team. Uh, we had to build a brand new use case for it, even though some other teams had been trialing it. And for us, it was an opportunity to see if we could get our our content out to our stakeholders faster. So we had bottlenecks in our content operations. Um, the quality we were getting from our agencies wasn't, we were having to touch it, right? And edit it too much. And that slowed down the process or we tended to hand off stuff without as much editing as we might've wanted to do because we were time crunched, right? So I saw it as an opportunity to save time and cost and increased quality in our content that we were producing for our campaigns and increased performance. But at the same time, as ChatGBT came out, uh, other people started getting diving into the opportunities around generative AI and thinking about how they might be using it. And people were reaching out to our brand team at VMware and asking if they could use ChatGBT to create content. So suddenly the brand team this group of very sophisticated, experienced writers and brand strategists had to figure out what their point of view was and what our point of view was as a company. And that's really how our Marketing AI Council came together. And really our first priority and, and every company's first priority then was to create generative AI or AI guidelines. So we created guidelines for using Gen AI writing tools at VMware because we knew right away that for us, security was an issue. And so ChatGBT is a no-go unless it's completely public information that's already out there, right? So we started with this list of don'ts. Don't use ChatGBT for this. But we realized you can't just have you just can't, you can't just tell people what not to do, right? Okay. We have to give them the opportunity of what they can do. Right. So then it started to turn into do use ChatGPT for drafts. And then eventually it evolved into what we could do with Jasper as just a separate secure uh, platform that we could broaden our use cases uh, into. So, I mean, but it it all probably wouldn't have happened without ChatGPT. And I, I bet that's the same for a lot of others as well. 
I like how you, you set that up because you're right. Everyone can remember that first time that they heard about it and kind of questioned it. And then like any other new advent or new tool in the marketing space, it's, you know, you're experiencing it with fear of like, oh, I don't know what it's, I don't know how to use it. So I'm just going to have someone else use it. But then you get over that fear and then you realize it unlocks so many other things. Um, you have to jump into it. It's right. it's completely, it's just hard to understand until you get in there and see what it can do. The Once you try it out for yourself, once you open up a Zoom meeting with people and show what this type of technology can do, that's the aha moment to then start to think about how can I apply this to my personal and professional life. Absolutely. So when you think about, and I guess this, this could be relevant to Jasper because I think by now, and I don't want to, I don't want to generalize for everybody, but I have to imagine, you know, most marketers have seen ChatGPT or Jasper or other tools in this space and used it for, like you said, drafting, idea generation. When you think about emerging use cases, so maybe use cases that um, you may not see happening or or being talked about too much, but you know that down the road they will be probably more popular. Are there emerging use cases, maybe beyond the drafting and copy that you're seeing um, coming from, from Jasper? Yeah, and, and others, right? Here's, yeah. here's some use cases that we lucked out in having talented innovators on our team this past year at VMware. Um, one is, for example, on-site interviewing executives at an event um, for a podcast or you know executive video series, and then connecting that to a laptop that records it all. Trans Google, you know, transcribes the entire conversation, and then connecting that directly with Jasper, who summarizes the conversation, and then immediately spits out new content ideas. So instead of having to go back home after the event, listen or get the transcription done, then figure out what you're going to do with the content, what, you know, iterations of this can I produce it it happens within five minutes of the conversation um so that was a really cool one there's a lot of work being done around product descriptions um and creating product descriptions from other pieces of content or um taking a lengthy product brief from a new product launch and then turning that into video transcript for training videos that then you can translate into 150 languages across the globe so it's kind of the reverse taking right. the copy that's already written and then how what can you create new copy and make i think that's it's low-hanging fruit i mean a lot of people know those things but it's the specificity of exactly what you can do with that and i think all these different examples we're hearing will just continue to inspire new use cases yeah i love it and as you're saying that i'm also thinking of you're you're, you're um there's ideas going through my head here of like oh wait i should be i should be trying to use that with this that and the other so that's the beauty of it exactly yeah. exactly and it can be done so you just got to look into it like you said jump in and spend time with it um yeah and know, i don't think i don't think marketers are spending enough time especially if they're in chat and this can be done in instances of that as well of really making sure that they're honing tone of voice brand you know style guide type of aspects because a lot of that can be done in these tools and should and i think there's so many um fears and you know negative attributes talked about the fact that it's just producing the same copy for everyone right and then you get into this everyone's saying the same thing well 
we're already all saying the same thing in a lot of these instances, right? I've worked in telecom and tech now most of my career, and I take the same value prop into every single company because we're all saying the same thing, right? So that already happens. You already have to apply that uniqueness. And so you've got to do that within the tool, but then that's also why you have to have the human oversight um, and human editing on top of that before you publish. Yeah, great point. And I was going to say, you know, the question here is about Based on what you've seen, not just your your use of these tools, but maybe other departments and teams, you know, what are the negatives you're seeing tied to the over-reliance on using these tools or even the under-reliance of using these tools? You know, what, what risks do you see happening there? Yeah, I mean, I think that just like in photography or design, the same thing applies to writing. The the actual writers, the actual designers will always be have the best output, right? Because they understand what good looks like and they understand how to craft a story, what makes a good story or how to design something. So my example in this is I am not a designer. I cannot, I can barely do things uh, in Illustrator, right? So my ability to prompt Gen AI image tools, I suck at it. Hmm. But a designer is going to know what to say, what type of medium to use, what type of visual cues they're looking for, and they're going to get better outputs every time. And, you know, side tip, you know, you can ask for a prompt for a prompt, right? So write me a prompt that blah, 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 and you'll get infinitely better results that way. But the same goes true for writing. So the actual writers on your team are not replaced, but are now enhanced um, because they push out their ideas faster. Where I see the over-dependence is when non-writers think that now they're a writer. And so if they're using the tool, say, to produce case studies when maybe they would have done it with an external agency, um, but now they bring it in-house, but they don't have the skill set to understand what makes a good story. They're not following the right flow. And so then before it publishes, it gets a bunch of edits, you know, spends a bunch of time in editing and you really didn't save any money. So I think that there's this balance of like, what are you personally good at and what are you not? And how do you make sure that you're balancing it out and not over-relying on the tool? Um, And and the same thing goes for under-reliance. You know, you should be using these tools for things that you don't love to do, the mundane repetitive tasks. If you're if your skill set is creating and the best story editing creative juice, you use it to draft and then you spend all your time on that, the things that you love right. and are get good it, at. Get it 80% there and then put your expertise towards the, the final 20%. Exactly. Nice. So one thing that's been a topic that's been been popular when it comes to marketing teams trying to navigate through this generative AI situation is budgeting. So, you know, you get approval, you get buy-in, CMO comes and says, hey team, we're going to be uh, investing uh, in generative AI for our team and our organization. Uh, what have you seen um, be included into that line item uh, of budget for generative AI? Um, in terms of beyond platform costs? But beyond the monthly $20, $100 a month for the tool. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's the platform cost and then there's the tool cost itself. Um, but, you know, you can get into custom templates. Um, 
setup, APIs, things like that. But I think for us, you know, really it was just budgeting for the actual tool itself. And then you kind of get into, okay, great. Where does this money come from? And so a lot of times the easiest place is, well, what are we going to save? What do we think we're going to save from using a tool like this? Um, and that's where we started at VMware. I think that as we get into the promise of generative AI creating better outcomes, not just cheaper, faster, but the actual better, it becomes we because we're seeing bottom line results uh, and improvements, we know that we can get, you know, higher performance results and that turns into conversion and revenue because we're using this tool. So it's seen as another kind of value add to the tech stack and not just a cost saver. And, and to that point, do you, did you see or have you seen budgets be funded by like marketing spend or is it is it operational spending like salaries? It was marketing spend that I've seen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we're coming out of uh, my first use case and the way that I got it funded at VMware was agency cost savings. Got it. So we are spending tons of money with agencies. I love all the agencies, but, you know, bringing a lot of that copy in house and spending our time editing rather than drafting or waiting for an agency to pick up a product. And we saw that 50% cost savings that we had targeted. Nice. I think that's a great tip just in terms of for those out there trying to figure out how to position this in terms of um, not just securing budget, but also I think that's a good tip when it comes to just this as an investment in terms of how you can be be funding it. So all good things here, great insights here in terms of generative AI, uh, some tips on, on, on risks tied to it. So we're going to take a quick break here, come right back, and then we'll talk more about uh, what we see happening towards the future. So we'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, Eric here, your host of the Marketing Careers Podcast. Now, I trust you're enjoying this episode that is focused on giving you some great insights and tips on how to navigate your disruption around Gen AI within your organization. Now, stay tuned, because when we get back to the episode, we're going to be tackling some thoughts on predictions and trends and things you can be prepared for in the future. But I just want to let you know, when we started the Marketing Help almost 10 years ago, we wanted to help marketers navigate their career. And since then, our mission has evolved really to focus on providing marketing career mentorship, plus uh, also helping CMOs with CMO disruption advisory supports. Now, as a collective, our entire team and myself, we've been helping marketers and marketing leaders navigate disruption for over 20 years, uh, starting with some of the earliest e-commerce, social and mobile disruptions to the return to office, remote team disruptions through the pandemic, and now supporting with the help uh, of navigating um, this world of generative AI. So if you're a CMO or a marketing leader and looking for the playbook to help you and your team navigate this generative AI disruption, and maybe you need a little bit of a, uh, some guidance or just some tools to get you started. And you don't want to take notes from all the episodes that you're listening to, so we've made it easy for you. Just head on over to this URL, themarketinghelp.co forward slash genai. Uh, G-E-N-A-I. Uh, you can also find the, the link in the show notes too, but uh, there you'll find a free sample from our new book. We just released the book on Amazon uh, titled CMO Disruption Playbook Generative AI. So we've extracted some value from that book, gave you a little free sample download that gives you some specific tips, uh, a little bit of a, a checklist to help you make sure you're doing the right things to help you navigate uh, your team's generative AI disruption. So check it out. 
themarketinghelp.co forward slash Gen AI. Listen, you don't want to navigate this disruption on your own. We want it to help, help make it easier for you. So head on over to that URL, themarketinghelp.co forward slash Gen AI. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your, your favorite podcasts to make sure you're catching all the episodes from this season. All right, let's get back to the episode. All right, we are back here with Jessica going into some more conversation around uh, generative AI, specifically about what we or what Jessica sees happening in the future. So Jessica, let me start with this question. So I like to call this the coulda, shoulda, woulda moment when it comes to your experience with generative, generative AI. So when you think back to the very first time, whether it's that first prompt you came up with for, for using a tool uh, or when f someone said, hey, you got to check out this link in this 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 tool called Generative AI, you think back to that very first moment, what would you have changed in your path of learning about Generative AI um, if you go back in the coulda, shoulda, woulda moment from, from the first exposure to Generative AI? What would you, what would you change? Um... I feel like I really dove in quickly and we did a lot of um, early things that helped uh, our journey into global expansion um, of this tool and our focus on AI literacy. I think one of the things that I would have liked to have understand earlier, and I think this is important for anyone just jumping into this, is it is a learning curve. And um, you can't just jump into it and expect it to work exactly like you think it's going to, because it likely isn't, and you are probably not thinking about it in the right way. So there's an educational component of really foundationally understanding how generative AI tools work. And to that point in our earlier conversation, how they're different um, from traditional AI and into then how you can prompt them and, and use them. Because a lot of times too, especially if you're expanding this across a large team, if a team member jumps into this tool that you've paid for and you're expanding across the way and, and it doesn't work for them right away, the chances of them going back and trying it again are just delayed, right? And so there's a learning curve to uh workflow and bringing this into your workflow and then proving it out. So, I mean, it took us almost two quarters to be able to officially get it into our content workflow, for example, and then actually see results that we could put on paper because it's hard to change the way that you've always done things. No, it's good to set expectations because you're right. I mean, I could even think back, think back to my first series of prompts that I was using and you're right. You're, you're expecting it to, you know, the magic happens on the first, the first go, and then you realize like this isn't really that good. And then you learn and learn, like, hey, wait a minute, I need to feed it more information about the persona, exactly, and about the goals, uh, and then ask it if it has any other questions for me. And um, you know, you start to really, you're right, train yourself, but to set that expectation to give your team a couple of months to operationally get it all working together at, at some level of sizzle. Uh, I think that's that's a great tip. Um, yeah. And, and we really emphasize that in our journey at VMware globally because, you know, it wasn't just the AI Council, but we felt really strongly that the entire team needed a foundation of AI literacy. So, for example, we brought in the Marketing AI Institute and did a fireside chat in terms of, like, how did we get here and where are we now and what does this mean? And then we did a fireside chat with the C-suite at Jasper. And then we did um, an, a session on looking at all of the different tools and comparing them and 
you know, what are each of these large scale LLMs good for and not good for? And then, so you're building this sort of broad based education on AI literacy before, and then in parallel to any tool specific training that you're doing. And I think that's really important to understand. And then the more people can get into something and experience it themselves, obviously that's going to just accelerate learning as well. I like that idea of of having those fireside chats and bringing in those 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 teams or individuals to to go deeper around the subject because I think that's a that's a great phrase too the AI literacy that you're saying and you know it's only better if everyone understands it at a certain level um, you know understanding how how your team's going to be implementing now exactly we- and that's how you get into responsible AI adoption ethical guidelines what to look out for because you're not, it's, it still has a risk factor, right? Hallucinations or um, just, you know, citing sources in ensuring that the people who are using the tools know what the guidelines are and how to use them and how the company expects them to use them. So you've really got to focus on this broad scale literacy, both, you know, generally speaking, and then specifically for, for your company. Right. Sorry to keep cutting you off. No, that's not that one. <laughs> so I mean, it's so true because I think the last person that that teams think to involve would be legal. Uh, maybe not the last team, but having your legal counsel understand it at some level, and I'm sure there's been a lot of conversations around that too in many organizations. But yeah, there's probably some things you shouldn't be doing. To your point of the don't list. Um, that's important for not just not just the CMO to understand, but also the the intern who just started to avoid making those those sorts of hiccups or mistakes. Exactly. Um, and the sooner you can bring legal into those conversations, the better. We had legal in the very first marketing AI council meeting that we had. Um, and soon after that, IT, privacy, security, and more and more, you know, I had the CIO at VMware tell me last year, bring in his team early so that they can grease the skids because IT privacy, security, same as marketing ops. If you're pushing this and you're not in the marketing ops team, the later you bring them in, the more defensive they're going to be about what this is and how it's impeding their tech stack or their processes. But if you bring them in along the way, they're a part of crafting the solution and your onboarding and uh, enablement will go much smoother. And and this leads into my next question about the the future of marketing teams and departments. When you think about, you know, what you've seen go from an idea to now a committee to now rules and regulations and processes and protocols. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, these tools are not going to replace necessarily marketers, but only enable them or enhance them to 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 de- to, to develop um, not just more content, but better content. Fast forward even another 12 months as best you can, you know, what sort of impacts do you see to the the teams and departments? You know, is there, aside from just literacy and education across the department, are there new roles popping up that maybe don't exist today, whether it's by new title or by new function? Definitely. I mean, the role that I was playing in terms of leading our Gen AI adoption uh, last year was on top of my day job. So I was the head of global demand content strategy, had a team of nine, had very real, you know, deadlines and projects that we were doing on an ongoing basis, plus innovating in our own content strategy and content marketing space. And that was a lot of the leaders on the council that we were moonlighting 
in, in these roles, right? And I will tell you, it was not, it's not sustainable. Right. Um, so we're starting to see these AI program director, AI program manager uh, pop roles pop up. And it's, I, I have an evolution of my thinking on this over this past year. Initially, uh, the conversation was, you know, do you hire an AI marketing specialist or AI content marketer? And I was under the, the uh, had the feeling that, no. I, and I still believe AI just becomes a part of every marketer's job, such as digital marketing and the internet are today. Um, but then I actually changed one of my marketing content marketers to AI and AI applied content marketer because she was the only one hundred uh, percent focused on prompting um, our Jasper tool, getting all of the draft copy for the campaigns and then getting them over to the editors and, and producing content, drafting content in a day, which otherwise took our agency six weeks. So I felt like there was an opportunity to showcase her in a time when this AI space was new, the role was new, but also that she was 100% dedicated to that. Um, I believe that this AI program manager, uh, AI transformation director, manager, you know, it's important now because it is a full-time job and it, it can and should take full-time focus. But five years from now, maybe it's just going to be a part of what we do, right? Just like digital marketing is today. Um, I still think someone would need to focus on it because it is just going to keep getting better and adding new skills. So how do we make sure that we're leveraging all of the new capabilities that are coming out, but this transformational period needs somebody to lead, you know, and usher and be the face of it across the organization. And I think that's really important and it can't be just a side job. Right. And, and as you're, as you're describing that, it reminds me of the time when, um, not just social media, like Facebook and Twitter, but when like social commerce started to become tangible and brands could actually generate significant revenue through social media, um, it became this thing where it was like, someone's got to figure it out. And, you know, it was someone's, it was someone's, you know, night job or weekend job to get it or orchestrated and, and write the POV and things like that. But now it's part of any social media marketers, you know, bag of tricks when it comes to things they can implement to generate results. Um, exactly. And I think it's actually broader than that. And this might be a hot take. Um, but yeah. I think that, you know, social media, people like to talk about mobile, how those were all new things, you know, maybe even email marketing. But if you think about internet and when the internet came out and, and what that did to businesses, you know, which I wasn't in, uh, you know, in the business space yet, right? But it wasn't just a part of marketing's function, right? It was a strategy that touched every single person, both personally and professionally. Now you'll have some marketers who will say, well, I never, uh, I don't actually have social media in my day job. Right. Um, or I even have, you know, I've used the digital marketing example before. And someone said, well, I don't actually do anything with digital marketing, um, because I write strategy for our product. Right. Um, but the, but you cannot, function in your job today without the internet. And that's how big I think that this generative AI transformation and turning point is right now. It's just going to be a part of every person's jobs. And I, we saw some examples of that just to give you some other use cases because at VMware, we enabled the entire marketing department. We didn't just 
use it for the content team. Mm -hmm. And so, although that was the first use case that we built out. And so from that, we were able to see use cases pop up in surprising ways. And another one is from our marketing technology department who you would think, you know, not content creators managing the tech stack, but they would use it uh, for to write, say, um, a, a strategy on how they were going to pilot a new to a new tech tool, or they're trying to compare two CDPs, um, content delivery platforms. And in fact, had an example where they paid um, a third party analyst, you know, two month long project you know, thousands of dollars, and they got the same output that that analyst uh, gave us in one prompt with Jasper. So basically <laughs> saying, here's all the things that we have today. Here's what we want to do. These are the two platforms we're looking at. Which one should we get? And got that same answer. Um, or if English isn't your first language, I heard stories from our team where Jasper gives them confidence to help write emails in making sure that their English is correct because sometimes they feel, or they may take longer, you know, to write things because that's not how, how they're thinking things first. So it was really cool to see once you give equal and inclusive access to everyone, how people bring it into every part of their work lives. Like it's bringing a calculator into a meeting. They're not judging you on your use of the calculator. They're judging you on your output and um, impact to the meeting. And so if it's another way to think about it, going into a meeting or going into a project, is there a way that AI can help me think through this? Right. So, so when you think about you know, those use cases you just gave, but then, you know, fast forward, you think future uh, for these marketing departments and teams, let's talk to that audience listener who is, you know, um, early in their career or new marketer uh, manager of people, and they're looking to make an impact and they want to grow professionally, you know, in the next six months, what sorts of skills should they be focusing on? And maybe that's not the right question, but it's like, what should they be thinking about uh, uh, enhancing or developing from a skill standpoint so that they can be that person that six months from now is encouraging everyone to think AI, you know, across the board. Yeah, I mean, there's huge professional development opportunities here. And I would I would say that to a first time marketing leader or to CMOs, we have a responsibility to upscale our marketers. And the faster we do that, the more that we can leverage and compete, right? And lead these charges internally and externally. Um, there's some really good places to start that I, I like to share as well with the Marketing AI Institute. There's um, a piloting AI course that they offer, an intro to AI course. You know, there's a new scaling AI, and that's a really great way to jump in and um, get to understand what the opportunities are there. But then making sure that your direct reports know that this is an opportunity for them to lean in and learn as well. Um, there was a study that came out, I forget who it was, but it was the, the early, you know, marketers early in their career were kind of waiting around for this training to be offered mm -hmm. by their company, right. Or to come down from the CMO, but you've, you've just got to take initiative yourself. Uh, to personally educate, you know, educate yourself personally, but then also make sure that your team is aware that this is an opportunity for them as well. And so really just supporting their professional development opportunities across the way, maybe bringing opportunities to them. And that's kind of what happened um, last year with me at VMware. You know, I was a sort of senior manager, um, director level, you know, several levels down from the CMO, and we just started 
the marketing AI council. Um, and I made, and I intentionally brought people early in their career, um, because they were the passionate ones that I knew could be the doers. And I wanted to make sure that the council was continually led by those passionate doers early or mid-level career um, and, and use that as an opportunity to lead. And so we saw that, you know, we were, because we got an executive sponsor from our CMO, um, you know, down the line months later, we were connected with our corporate AI council that was just uh, founding. And so now all of a sudden I'm on calls with our CTO and CIO regularly. And I never would have had those direct connections before. Um, presenting, we presented in our global marketing town hall, which usually only VPs or select, you know, program leaders present on. So it was definitely an opportunity, especially if your company isn't, your marketing team isn't doing something wide scale, bring this opportunity to your leadership, flesh it out in terms of why it's important now, how you can scale, the fact that you need to create guidelines and get a group of people around you, whatever you call it, to help you do that, that's where you'll scale and that's where you'll start to see impact. And I think that's really important because I think it it almost makes it more influential, right, to your peers across the marketing team than just a mandate coming down from the CMO. It goes both ways. Mm -hmm. I think the way you outline it there, it just underscores the importance of uh, from a career impact standpoint, you know, anybody who's looking to, whether you want to call it the fast track or just the right track in terms of just being relevant, being modern, is to proactively get involved and, and seek out these learning opportunities that exist. Um, and you, you mentioned a couple of good ones there. I'll, I'll include links in the show notes. But um, it, it really is, it really is when you think about it, sitting there waiting to be taken advantage of in that educate yourself just by doing um, and, and what that can do in, in not just your career currency of, of just having that knowledge uh, as you want to advance, you know, like you said, whether you're the new marketer or the CMO, because this, this is information everyone needs to know. And that's kind of a lesson for any new marketing innovation or scope, right? Right. Take initiative, take action. Uh, those are the people and the careers and the trajectories. That's how you how you put together the directory trajectory. Well, um, you know how you get noticed or how you make an impact is by action and initiative. And, and to that point, are there any other resources that you recommend for marketers? You, you mentioned the institute. Are there blogs? Are there Reddit threads? Are there resources that you find to be valuable for for teams that want to uh, upskill or learn? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Marketing AI Institute, um, Slack community certifications. They have a free intro to AI course um, every six weeks as well. So one of the things we did was we got a recording of that from them directly. And then we put that into our second half KPIs for learning and development required uh, KPI across the organization so that everybody gets that same intro access. Um, from a guidelines perspective, it can be hard to look at a blank piece of paper and figure out where you start from your guidelines. And Jasper has a great template for putting together your AI policies, and that's jasper.ai slash ethics. And um, there's a template in there that you can download and get started with as well. That's the number one priority after putting together your AI work group is getting everybody to row in the same boat. Exactly. So I'll include that link in the show notes because I agree. That's got to be the thing that helps to support that committee, that task force, that that rollout across the department because 
like you said, if you get legal involved early, that template can help educate them as well. Um, yeah, and otherwise, every people in your organization are using ChatGPT. Are they using it in the way that they should be or the way that you want them to be? But if you're not giving them the direction and the guidelines, how would they know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so zooming out here, this is more like the the uh, the $64,000 question. Zooming out from your, thinking about the landscape in general, um, you know, do you have any sort of additional hot takes or predictions for this entire space? Because you start to look at some of the things that are happening you know, outside of marketing departments, whether that's, you know, synthetic reality content, um, you know, uh, some of the legislation that's happening in Europe, you know, what, do you, what are some of your hot take predictions for this space uh, and how it can, it's going to impact not just marketers, but organizations? Fear? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> the synthetic media thing, oh, that's, that's bad. But that's where you talk about the lack of AI literacy in general population, you know, and it's just uh, gets into some scary scenarios. I think that, you know, just as GDPR is the main standard now for data, the EU AI Act um, has the potential, very real potential to be the new standards from an AI perspective. Um, I think that uh, automation continues to develop and um, the ability to push insights, um, even at Jasper, for example, the Jasper Analytics features were announced um, a couple months ago and, um, you know, in phases launching where when you log into the tool, you know, say every morning, it shows you not just, you know, because it's integrated with Google Analytics, not just how your web traffic traffic's performing, you know, maybe conversions, things like that, but then provides pushed insights. So your web traffic spiked yesterday. Here are the reasons that could be why, and here's what you might want to do about it. And you can say, yes, I'd like to take that action or no, let's provide me more information or talk about that. So instead of going and searching for the information you need, um, which a lot of times, depending on your day job or the priorities, get things get put off to the back burner. You're like, oh, I always knew I needed to do that, or I never swivel chair it over to that platform to look at it, it becomes integrated in one um, system that is integrated in all your other systems, right? That's kind of single pane of glass that pushes you not just the analytics, but the insights and then offers the actions that you can take. Um, the automated actions concept, I think, um, while enticing, you know, has to have the human review. So I'm skeptical on the full automation and where we go with that, because even for customer service emails, if you're writing it, you still need to get eyes on it right. uh, before something goes out. There's just too many unknowns um, in this space. But um, personally, just from a, a whole where would I like to see this go and how could it impact my personal life? I'm still in, in automation, maybe it's still a question in that, but I'm still waiting for the tool that will automatically schedule appointments for you, like doctor's appointments and things like that, because, you know, that's like the one thing if you're a working parent or professional, you never get to because the office hours are the same as your day and they're not open on the weekends. And then six months later, you're like, Shit, I was supposed to make that appointment a long yep. time ago, right? right? So that sort of automated looking at your schedule, knowing that you need something coming up and making that, I'm waiting for that one. Yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll sign up too as soon as it's ready. Um, <laughs> no, good I insights. Think the, 
Yeah, I mean, I think the voice assistant is going to continue to develop. I think we could get closer to your um, Jarvis, you know, from Iron Man personal assistant. We're seeing that already sort of with character AI, Pi. My kids love talking to Pi um, and asking Pi questions. Uh, Pi.ai, if you if you haven't looked into that one, that's kind of the more therapy one. I think the ability to talk to someone in that sort of setting from a therapy perspective that isn't, uh, you know, you don't have to look at someone in real life or I I think that has a lot of merit to it. Yeah, so right. I think it's an interesting space. And the more you lean into it, the more you learn and not just the risk, but the opportunities will come to light. I love it. Great insights, great vision for what we could be seeing down the road here when it comes to where generative AI will start to matriculate. So uh, we'll definitely keep our eyes in that space. Where, Jessica, what's the best way for our, our audience to connect with you if they want to ask a question, continue the conversation? Um where where should our audience be looking for you? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. I'm there uh, every day and try to be pretty responsive. Um, so it's linkedin.com slash in slash dress Korea. And I'm sure we'll put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Yep. I'll add in the show notes. Um, great stuff, Jessica. So I, I thank you so much for, for your time and your insights. I think you've provided us with a lot of great insights, uh, our audience with a lot of great actionable tips that they should be taking if they're not already jumping into Jasper or other tools that uh, can help them, like you said, get more comfortable, improve their AI literacy. Uh, so definitely we'll, we'll have a ton of things, a ton, tons of links in the show notes for everyone to check out. But again, Jessica, thank you so much for your time today and uh, best of luck with everything at Jasper. Thank you. And to everyone out there, stay curious. All right. A big thanks to Jessica Rita for joining us on this episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast. Listen, a lot of great insights there. Um, you know, some of the things I took away from that conversation were the differences between generative AI and machine learning AI. I think she she made a good case there. Also, the the importance of creating do's and don'ts when using these AI tools across various marketing functions. Uh, but also, the one tip I thought was pretty interesting was getting all these other departments involved early as you're integrating some of these tools into your processes. Uh, as there may be some impacts to, you know, much more wider policies within your organization. So get in legal, get in product, get in engineering, because uh, chances are the tools you're using could impact all those other departments as well. So check the show notes. There's a ton of resources, uh, links to resources that Jessica shared. So, so definitely check those out. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast as we have new episodes launching every week with a conversation with a new marketing AI leader. So I am your host, Eric Harbison, and I will catch you on the next episode.